0: Hello and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona during our normal service. My name is John Chubb. I'm happy to be uh, preaching with you this morning. And um, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Welcome to 2022. We made it, guys. We made it. Um, you know, last week we talked about how we're on the cusp of entering a new year, and we're all probably a little bit apprehensive about that. Um, and normally this is the time of year where we make resolutions. That's something we talk about. Um, we have all kinds of resolutions. Uh, the common ones include uh, losing weight, eating better, uh, getting in shape, getting more organized, you know, quitting smoking, uh, journaling, running marathons, what have you. There's, there's a whole gamut of um, of uh, resolutions people make. Um, on my way here this morning in a car, we passed a bar and the outside the sign said, uh, good luck on breaking your resolutions this year or something like that. So it kind of made me chuckle. Um, and I, I mentioned last week, I've, I've never really been into uh, making resolutions. Uh, for me, like I, w- I always thought like, well, tomorrow's a new day or today's a new day. Um, so if there's something I've been wanting to do, I usually just try to commit to doing that. Um, but I also very much recognize there's something very refreshing about starting a new year. Um, and there's, very, there's something very nice about the reset of the calendar that happens every year. Um, so if you are a person that is into resolutions and that's your thing, like, awesome, good, like, do that. that, that, that's, that that's awesome. You know, I, I wish you well in whatever that goal is that you have in mind. I, I very much believe in you, and I would encourage you in, in whatever those endeavors are. Um, but again, there's, there's some apprehension in the air as to, as to kind of like the, these times that we live and what this next year will look like. Um, the last two years have just been incredibly difficult for all of us, and many, many of us are just naturally nervous about the future uh, Many of us are hesitant about making too bold of a claim on positive this things for this year and for our lives very much very much understand that um, but with all of that said, I want to share a little bit this morning about my own hopes, my own dreams uh, for our church and, and where I want us to see us to start move and some of the questions I've been mulling over and the questions I've been kind of like asking Asking myself. And so I'm not necessarily making a New Year's resolution this morning um, with you, but I, I, as I'm getting more grounded in my role here, I'm starting to gain more of a sense of like, just where we are and like hopefully a direction uh, that we'd like to start to veer us in. Um, it's really been part of my heart this whole time, uh, but with more of a solid footing here and a better understanding of who we are as a church, I think it's a good place to start like, mo- uh, moving there um, a-, a little bit more definitively. So we'll pray, and then we'll dive into our text. So please uh, pray with me. Lord, this morning uh, we uh, are thankful for your word, we're thankful for the truth of your word when, uh, when Jesus uh, preached it, when Luke wrote it down, and we're thankful for the truth of your word throughout the ages, even uh, through us uh, here this morning. Uh, I would uh, indeed uh, pray that I'd be able to preach and proclaim your truth today. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten, uh, but we pray that you'd be brought glory and honor, and we would learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. Amen. All right, so the Good Samaritan. Uh, The the parable of the Good Samaritan is arguably one of the more uh, famous teachings of Jesus. Um, Jesus had a lot of things to say, a lot of teachings, and some of them are pretty famous. Some of them are are, are very well known. Some of them uh, not so much, Um, but this would be definitely one of the more memorable ones. This is one of the ones that people are more familiar with, and I say that because Even if you've never read the Bible, even if you've never picked the thing up, have never been inside of a church or anything like that, um, the the idea, the phrase, the Good Samaritan, is part of the English language. It's part of the English lexicon. It's a phrase that is commonly used in our world, even if we don't understand or know or appreciate the source. Uh, so to call someone a good Samaritan is to give someone praise for helping out someone in distress. That's kind of like the, the like what it means. Um, we have countless hospitals and charitable organizations that are named after this parable as well. Even here in Phoenix, we have hospitals and medical clinics with the name Good Samaritan in the title. Um, and there's also like, debates in the, in the legal world about like, rendering aid if you're a bystander and, and, and things, things of that nature. They're, they're called Good Samaritan laws. I think every state has Good Samaritan laws on the books. And so there is an understanding in our world today that a Good Samaritan is a person who is doing a good thing and helping someone else out. Um, Dictionary.com says it's one who is compassionate and helpful to a person in distress. And this passage can essentially be divided into two parts. Uh, The first is a bit of a dialogue or a debate between Jesus and a legal expert. Um, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And then the second part is a a parable or an in-depth exploration of who then is my neighbor? And so we have this legal expert in the law approach Jesus, some sort of scholar in Hebraic law code, and he asks him, how do I gain eternal life? Um, in, in today's terms, it's, it's probably like, a, like an expert witness that one would call to testify upon matters related to the Old Testament law. Uh, this guy knows his stuff. The Old Test- there's a lot of Old Testament law, so this guy is like a, has studied this thing and he's considered a legal expert. Um, And we see in verse 25, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to trip up on his words so they can catch him in some sort of lie or hypocrisy or something like that. Um, But as always, Jesus knows this. Jesus is aware of this. He knows what's going on in the the guy's heart. Uh, This is certainly not not the first person to come and to try to trap Jesus with something to say. And so Jesus replies to the question in verse 26. Well, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? You know, you're an expert in the law. It can get pretty tricky. People come to you for legal advice about the law. So then tell me, sir, what is your understanding of how the law gives you eternal life? So Jesus, right from the get-go, lets the guy know that he's on to him. He's not going to get away easily. And then the man um, answers with the, with the infamous, infamous line of, well, love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a combination of two laws from Scripture. Again, this is a legal expert here. He's kind of like uh, mashing two laws together from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And so Jesus uh, hears this response, and he says, good job. You have answered correctly. Um, Do this, and you will live. Jesus is a fan of this answer, gives him a thumbs up, gold star. You did it. You, You understand this. And in the Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew and Mark also have this same debate. They have a very similar conversation that happens uh, in their Gospels, and then their story ends and they, they switch onto something something new. Uh, but Luke goes on and provides this second half. Um, and so where the legal expert just can't quite let that go. So this Good Samaritan story only appears here in its full form in Luke. And so the man is, uh, we know the man is testing Jesus. He wants to be the last man standing in the showdown, and he asks Jesus another question in verse 29. Uh, well, then, who is my neighbor? Uh, Luke records he, he wants to prove himself right in asking this question. And, and really, though, at the heart of this question, really at the core of what this man is asking, is who isn't my neighbor? okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but like, what small select group of people do I have to show love to in order to be right with God? Really, that's the heart of what he's asking. Who isn't my neighbor? And then Jesus answers this question, not with another question, uh, but with a story, with the parable, with the tale of the man who gets beat up while going on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, the poor man fell into a hand of ro- hands of robbers. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him up. They leave him half dead. So from, from the distance, you're like, I don't even know if this guy is still alive or not. And that's a fairly common scenario in that day and age. People would get robbed and beat up all the time on the road. So this is a very much a situation that people would be aware of. It's the kind of thing, like, if you're on a journey, like, you don't want that thing to happen to you. Um, and then three different people in the story end up encountering this half-dead man. The first two are good and righteous holy men. There's a priest and, like, a Levite, a, a temple helper. And both of these would uh, typically be the good guy in the story. You're expecting them to do the right thing. Uh, but both men see, uh, see this man and they decide to pass on by. And in fact, they actually go out of their way. They go to the other side of the road to stay as far, as far away as possible. And, and cleanliness laws are, are coming into play here. Again, he's dealing with a legal expert. The legal expert kind of knows the situation and how this is playing out. And the general gist of in that day and age was that if you were to physically touch a dead body with, with, with your hand or with your body, then you had to isolate yourself for seven days, as outlined in Numbers 19. You know, we're all isolating ourselves from COVID, and in that day and age, you had to isolate yourself for various reasons, including touching a dead body. And neither of these two men, uh, the priest or the Levite, want to risk ritual defilement by touching this person. He might be dead, and then they have to, like, go off, to be by themselves, be isolated, be cut off for a week, and neither of them want to deal with that. Uh, but then in verse 33, we encounter the third person in the story. We encounter the third uh, character uh, of a Samaritan who approaches this man. And, and we, we have to pause here. We have to stop our story and make sure that we're very, very, very clear on something, that uh, Samaritans and Jews in this day and age did not get along. They were enemies of each other. Uh, to give some backstory, uh, Samaritans were basically uh, half-Jews in, in the eyes of, of their peers, um, as we've talked about during the season of Advent, um, the prophets were, were a warning of a day when Assyria and Babylon were going to come in and wipe the people out um, and take, take the people into exile. And that did in fact happen, but when they came in with, with death and destruction and exiled people, like they didn't take 100% of the people back with them. Some of them uh, stayed behind. Some of them were indeed uh, left behind. And what, ha- what happens is the, the people that were left behind, they ended up intermarrying with foreigners, with Assyrians, with Babylonians, with, with other people of that day and age. Um, and they ended up become, like, essentially creating a new people group called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they had, their, they, they had a temple as well. It was in a different part of, of the world. And they had the same religious texts, the same Hebrew scriptures, but they had different conclusions. They kind of read the stories a little bit differently. And so over time, for these and various other, re, uh, other reasons, there just grew this uh, hostility and this animosity and this hatred uh, between these two people. Uh, they, they did not get along with each other. They did not like each other. Uh, they, they basically hated each other and both claimed to be the, of the true uh, Jewish faith, both claimed, claimed to have, like the, like, the true, like, Jewish core identity, and that the other was a heretic. So, they had a lot in common, a lot of the same story, but also, like, uh, very diametrically opposing views on other things. And so, again, they do not like each other. They do not get get along. And so, When the Samaritan is introduced in the story, one would expect the Samaritan to pass on by as well. Like, the Samaritan is not going to help this guy. Why would he do that? Uh, But there's the twist. The the crazy thing is the Samaritan is, in fact, the one who's helping. Um, The Samaritan, this hated individual, this guy that could never do anything right, um, he's the one that stops and has compassion on the half-dead man. He, he treats him, he bandages the wounds, he provides oil and wine for the wounds, he, p- he puts him on his own donkey, and then takes him to an inn to take care of him. He gives the innkeeper two days worth of wages, and then has this open-ended like uh, this, this uh, call to just charge him whatever is necessary to keep the, the beaten man alive. So he's like the innkeeper, whatever, whatever is you got to do to help this guy out, put it on my tab, I'll come back and pay it later. And so he opens himself up to financial risk uh, in, in being taken advantage of in this charge. And so at the end of the story, at the end of the parable, Jesus then says, okay, you ask me who my neighbor is? Well, I'll give you a story. From this story, which of these three men was the neighbor to the robbery victim? And, and the legal expert, he can't even bring himself to say the name, say the word Samaritan. He, does, he can't even say that. Instead, he says, well, it's the one who demonstrated mercy towards him, and Jesus goes on and says, "Great answer. You're my best student, a plus." Oh no, That's actually not what Jesus says. He says, "Yeah, you do this as well. Go and do likewise." And so I, I hope we can ap- just appreciate the irony of the phrase, the Good Samaritan. It's just the hated in enemy, the hated person is the one who does the right thing. We just have to understand that to really understand the full, like just the force and the shock of this parable when first given. And then, like, just, again, for us, finding meaning in this passage, there is just a treasure trove of of possibilities here. There's so much we can extrapolate. Um, We could uh, preach this uh, text for weeks and weeks and weeks and just still not cover all there is to say about just the redefinition of neighbor and what it means to love God and what it means to love others. I I think there's a reason so many organizations so many hospitals have just named themselves after this parable, because it's a solid passage that calls us to a deep faith. It's a solid passage that calls us to a rich faith. It's a solid passage that calls us to a caring uh, faith. It's a text that really calls us to examine ourselves and our hearts and our prejudices and whatever hatred we have. You know, we could easily swap out Samaritan for all kinds of personal enemies. So whatever, like, like whatever kind of person or group or whatever adjective you want to use to say, like, I don't like this person. They're my enemy. I, like, they're just the worst person in the world. That is the Samaritan for you. And so whatever you're thinking, like, whatever, like, group gets you kind of, like, frustrated, they're the good Samaritan in the story. And you're like, there's no way that that person could ever do something good or whatever. And it's like, Yeah they're the hero. It's, it's just like, it's, it's shocking. It's like, whoa, man, it's just, that's, that's crazy. Oof. So when, when I think about us, when I think about us as a local church and who we are and our body and our story, like, and thinking about this in this story, in this parable, like, I, I think we get it here. I, I, I think we're doing a very decent job at, at trying to embody what this passage is about. I think we like the story. It's part, like, we understand this is part of our faith tradition to love others, to not have enemies, like, I very much think that we, we get this. And I say that because I've been here for a while, I've had a lot of conversations, I've looked at our budget, I see how we respond to giving campaigns, and like, we get this parable here. I, I think, I think we do, we're doing a pretty good job at like trying to take this to heart and really live it out. I believe we have a good heart here, we genuinely care about people, we genuinely care about organizations trying to do good things in the world. I think we are all trying to keep our prejudices in check. And so, uh, do I want us to find new ways to show love and mercy and caring in the world? 100%. Absolutely I do. And I have no doubt in the world we will continue to do that. And I believe that we all here uh, get, uh, get the, and understand the heart of what Jesus was, was doing in this passage. You know, I, think, I think we are all indeed trying to love all and not view others as enemy. And, and as a church, we know that the church is the people. We, we know that. It's not the building. All of us know that here. Um, but, it, but we do have a physical space here in South Scottsdale, Arizona. And what's interesting is if you, uh, if you kind of map out just where we're located, like where we all live, Like, we're kind of all over the place. We're kind of scattered all throughout the valley. Um, A few of us are locals. A few of us truly are locals, and we could walk here, or maybe it's a short drive to get here. Um, But most of us, myself included, uh, do travel a bit of ways uh, to get here. Uh, We're mostly a commuter church. Uh, Most of us live in Mesa, Tempe, Chandler, on the east side of things. Um, And so even though we know that the church is a people, not the building, at the end of the day, we have a building. And your building is a physical representation of who you are, and that is what outsiders see. That is something that they ask you about, like your church. Like, what is your building like? Where are you located? That's just something that goes along with having a building. There's like we kind of tie those ideas together. Um, Most of us here, not all of us, uh, most of us here are also here uh, because the brethren identity means something to us. We find value in that word. We find value in that faith tradition, uh, whatever that means. know, whether you grew up in the faith tradition or maybe you had some sort of tie to it, most of us here um, connect with that word on some level. Again, not all of us, uh, but even the ones that didn't grow up that way or don't know what that word means, uh, you liked us enough to stick around, and that's awesome. Thank you. Um, And and most of the visitors that I've encountered in my tenure here were visiting us because they had some sort of tie uh, to the Brethren Church. They, They found us on Google, they looked up the word brethren, and they decided to pay us a visit. Great. Awesome. Um, And so as a church, you know, like there's different things we think about, different things we focus on, different things we talk about. um, And there's always the idea of of numbers and growth and all of that. No no matter what size you are as a church, that will always pragmatically be on your radar. Whether you're a house church of like six people or a mega church with six campuses, that will something that always like be on your radar in some capacity. Um, That's a pragmatic uh, concern any church will have. Uh, but I don't think it's a terrible stretch of the imagination to understand why it's more of a topic or a concern for smaller churches. And I want to be very clear about something. Like, I I do not believe in the idea of growth for the sake of growth. Uh, A few months ago, in a sermon I quoted from Edward Abbey, I remember encountering this, like, um, quote a while while back. I'm like, yes, this is, like, a quote I'm going to remember and just probably quote a lot, so I try to limit how often I say this. Um, But Edward Abbey has this, this quote that says "growth for the sake of growth" is the ideology of the cancer cell, and that's like a—you know—can you relate it to business or capitalism or whatever? Um, but churches can often like kind of embody this as well. Like we gotta grow, we gotta grow, we gotta grow, we gotta grow with no end in sight and no no purpose or no vision. And 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 I very much want people to understand who Jesus Christ is, and I very much want us to walk in the path of discipleship. At the end of the day, ultimately that's the only growth that actually matters in the world. That's the only growth that I, like, that I like, am excited about. Um, and, and as a church, regardless of the size or the scope or anything like that, simply focusing on numbers to simply focus on numbers is, is not where you want to end up. That's not where you want to stay, just to focus on numbers for the sake of focusing on numbers. Um, but pragmatically, uh, pragmatically, as a very small church who believes we're doing a good thing here, I want us to grow and I want us to have more people experience this community of faith. Um, and earlier this week, I, f- I finally got a chance to do something I've been wanting to do since I landed here, and that is like, I got a chance to walk around the neighborhood um, as I was working on my sermon and kind of reflecting on things and, and what I wanted to talk about. Um, again, I live about 20 minutes west of here, so I'm still kind of getting my lay of the land, and up until a few, a few weeks ago, it was, just, it was too hot to walk around. I, could, I probably could have taken a walk, but I would have regretted it like five minutes into it, and it would have, it would have been kind of a miserable day. And, and I knew this from looking at Google Maps. But I'm a person that like, I can read something, but like, I really need to experience it to really like, truly grasp it. Um, but uh, we are, in my walk, like, we are in a neighborhood. We are surrounded by all kinds of people. We are surrounded by hundreds of homes, uh, hundreds of houses, thousands of people. On my short walk, I started to count homes. I'm like, this is dumb. There's just like a lot of houses. I don't need to keep track of how many houses are here. I saw old houses. I saw new houses. I saw remodeled houses. I saw lots of vehicles, nice cars, beat up cars. I saw a lot of trucks, boats, RVs galore. Um, I saw Christmas decorations. I saw one house that had a let it snow thing in the front of their house. I just wanted to go up to their door and knock and be like, you realize where you are, right? Like, this is a great sign, but this ain't never gonna happen here. That was really funny to me. I I, I saw American flags. I saw ASU paraphernalia. I saw U of A paraphernalia. I saw signs of just pride in where we are and where we live and who we are as a people. I saw lots of security signs along with welcome signs, and some houses had both of them, and I love the irony of when you have both of those things up at your house. I saw a... um, I saw a little lending library and I got like a book and I'm I hopefully I'll add this to my shelf and maybe I'll read it in the coming days. So there's that. Um, you know, some cars drove past me, they waved at me, uh, some cars drove past me, they didn't wave at me. I saw a few people that were walking in, and I said, hello, hello, you know, it, it, was, it was a great little walk. And as I'm just kind of like taking this all in, thinking about this and just where we are and just seeing this, this neighborhood, I just, I can't help but think and wonder like, hey man, like, do these people know us? You know, do, do they know we're here? Do they know what we're about? Do they want anything to do with us? Whether faith is something that's important for them or not, whether it's something they care about or not, I can't help but wonder, you know, if, if we packed up and left, would they notice? What, would they care? You know, does our presence or absence in our community, in our surrounding, in our surrounding town, is that making a difference in the world? Again, the church is the people, not the building. But we've been here with a building for 15 plus years now. We made an intention and we planted a flag here. And our story, our space, like, has a, has a beautiful backstory. You know, we're on this former prisoner of war camp, and so like, we're kind of just trying to, like, make that into a church, do something positive with that. And we also take pride in the fact that we have this, this energy-efficient green building. We have, like, uniqueness and I think, like a, like, a faith that, like, ties into our church, like, the physicality of our church. There's, like, faith evident within, like, the actual building structures. Like, that's really cool. That's, that, that's really amazing. You know, but what does our community think about us? if they think about us at all, if, they're, if we're even on our radar. You know, and when I'm, during, when I'm here during the week working on stuff, doing stuff here, I hear cars drive by, they zip by us pretty fast. Uh, do they know what we're about, or do they even notice us at all? And I, I believe that we're here as, as friends and members of Papago Buttes uh, because we care about Jesus, and we think he makes a difference in our lives. I fully believe that. I think we're all here because we care about Jesus, and we think he makes a difference in our lives. And I I believe that we are a known brethren presence in in the general Phoenix area. And if that's something that you like and that's something you identify with, that's something that you care about, um, we're here for you and you will be able to find us very easily. But but our actual physical neighborhood that we're in, the general community of South Scottsdale, walking distance and beyond, like, do we know the needs of our area? Do we know the the needs of our geographical uh, community in our neighborhood? You know, do we have a connection uh, with our neighbors and are we striving to show mercy to those around us? You know, are are we a place of salt and light? Are we a place of oil and wine? And so for me, where I'm at right now as we are entering 2022, like, I'm very much grounded in being here. I'm very much grounded in being your pastor and here for leading services and doing my best to shepherd and, and all of that. Very much here for you, very much excited about that, very much like looking forward to the continue, continuation of that story. Um, I will continue to gain grounding and footing here. I very much want to continue to get to know your individual stories as well. If we have not met up outside of the Sunday morning hour, I want to make that happen. Uh, My goal is to visit and connect with every every person, every family uh, within my first year of of being here. Um, But I also want to be very clear that that's not just like a thing to check off and and move on with my life. I want that to always be a thing. Um, That's an open invitation that will never go away. And so let's do lunch. Let's grab coffee. Let's have my family over for dinner. Whatever that looks like, uh, that's an offer without an expiration date. And if that's something that I ever stop caring about, then I've been replaced by a robot. Like, that is my promise to you right now. And so I will also continue to get plugged into our denomination, um, seeking to transfer my uh, pre-existing ordination over. Uh, Again, I don't come from the Brethren world, and in my short time here, I've learned so much about the pragmatics and, like, all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I'm taking a history class in a few weeks, and so I'm going to learn more names and dates and places. So if you want to talk Brethren history, come talk to me in, like, March, and we we can nerd out on that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I'm here because I very much, much believe in the core values of our, of our faith stream. And despite our very weird name, I think that our faith tradition speaks into so many problems uh, that are in our world today, especially the problems that I see within the American church. I think the brethren identity and history and our theology can weirdly offer like oil and wine, I think, to hurting believers as well. I, I really, truly mean that. Uh, troves and troves of people have left faith behind. And I, I think that like, the things that we're about, our values, speak into to the complaints that people have. So I think, weirdly, I think we can be oil and wine to, to other uh, believers. So these things I'm very much committed to, to, to doing, to, to being your pastor, to getting more involved in, in, in our like, faith stream. Um, but I'm also wanting to start to commit to better understanding the question of just what is our place in our neighborhood what is our place in our community? Like, what do we look like to outsiders? What what is that look like? You know, there. I did some math. There's, there's 168 hours in a given week. Uh, most of the, the, those hours, our building isn't in use too much. You know, are there ways to better to use our our space here? Are there better ways to be oil and wine to the greater to the greater world to our greater uh, community? You know, we're not a uh, 24-7 Circle K. We're not that. I don't want to be that. Uh, but are there, are there certainly, like, ways we could be do, doing or doing things with our space uh, that we have in a, be, in a better way? There are 8,760 hours in a year. I had to do the math a couple times, but 8,760 hours in a year. How many of those hours are spent being part of our community and being part of uh, things outside of our immediate context and our immediate body? The church does not exist solely for itself. It exists for those outside. It exists for the other. It exists for the neighbors, the neighborhood. That's what we exist for. And so what does it look like to better open up our physical space to others? What does it look like to take our church body uh, more so into the world, to leave our building and to go more outside into the world? Like, what does that look like? You know, when people step onto our physical campus, when people who have never been here come and pay us a visit, what do they see? What is their impression, you know? Uh, what do they experience here that would be like, yeah, I like this, I want to come back. Like, whatever those things are, let's keep doing those things. If they experience things here they are like, hmm, I don't know if I want to do this or not. I mean, there's thousands of churches in the area. Like, what are, what are, let's, let's improve upon uh, or get rid of the unnecessarily stumbling blocks that would make people want to split. You know, how do we need to up, up our game and be more inviting and be more welcoming and be more of a, a place and presence in our world and our community? You know, when we get visitors, what do they think of us? What impressions do we leave them? And what things do we maybe we need to fix or to improve upon? And so I'm asking a lot of questions this morning and these are mostly rhetorical. Uh, They don't necessarily have like a a one right or wrong answer. So they're kind of like high level questions that don't necessarily have like one sole right answer. Um, And so, but but, but being salt and light, being oil and wine, uh, being like being just open to the world, trying to listen to the spirit of Christ. I don't think there's one silver, uh, clear, uh, like, uh, silver bullet answer to what all of that means. It's not like, oh, here's this one thing we do, and then like, it changes everything. And so in bringing all of this up, like, I'm actually <laughs> I'm nervous because <laughs> I don't have this like, grand plan. I don't, I don't have this 15-step like, outline of what this all looks like. Okay, we do these things, and then like, we're just in a better spot or something like that. I, I don't have that. Um, so I'm nervous to say all this kind of stuff, because once you say it, you can't bring it back. So I've said it. Um, so I don't have the plan, but I do have some things. I do have some ammo uh, uh, behind me. Um, I, do have, I do have a couple things. Here's one thing we have that I have. I have a belief that we serve the living God who raised Christ from the dead and empowers us with the Holy Spirit to live and act and think and see in new ways. I very much believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here in front of you talking And so I very much believe that. The God that we encounter in the Bible, the God that we encounter in Christ, the Holy Spirit that empowered the original church is still alive and active and with us today, with me and with you. And I fully believe that. And that's something I can be excited about and take hold of and say, like, let's go forward as a church with that in mind. thousand percent, I believe that. I also have another thing. I have have a belief that we are a community of faith who deeply cares about each other and who wants us to see more people Come into this community and just continue to figure out all the craziness of life together. I fully, 100% believe that right now. That everyone in this room, everyone listening online, people that might be listening to us later, like, we're part of that. We want to be here. We love each other. We care about each other. We care about God. And we want to do good things in the world with each other and for the world. I fully, fully, fully believe that is true of every single person here. And so, I am bad about asking for things. I hate asking for help. I hate asking for prayer. I'm, I'm bad at that. I genuinely struggle with that. Like, hey, please, please, please pray for me. Like, but right now, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable and say, like, I need your help. <laughs> I need your prayers. Um, pray, with me. pray for me. Uh, p- pray for our leadership team. Uh, pray that we would all be bold in listening to the Spirit's voice as we try to, like, answer these questions better and, and, and hear new things along the way. Pray that all of us would be open uh, to newness and being stretched and ultimately that like despite whatever like that we're faithful in all of this again there's this temptation to look at numbers for the sake of numbers i don't want to do that i very much want to be faithful and so to my brothers and sisters that are in the faith and those who are on a faith journey christ calls us to go and do likewise and so may we be a people of mercy putting whatever prejudices we have at the foot of the cross. And may we be a local church who better connects with our neighbors, our neighborhood, and our community as we face the unknown future with courage and determination. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.